Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, October 7th, 2018. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Many of you have probably heard the story I'm about to tell. It was originally written by this man, Lauren C. Isley, an anthropologist, a philosopher, and an author. The famous uh, Ray Bradbury remarked that Lauren Isley's work changed my life, he said. Uh, Just before his death in 1977, Isley completed one of his final books, an anthology of uh, his works that included the story, The Star Thrower. The story has been adapted by countless storytellers and motivational speakers over the years. You've probably heard the story something along these lines. A young girl was walking up along the beach with thousands of starfish that had been washed up during a terrible storm. And when she came to each starfish, she would stop, bend down, pick one up ever so gently, look at it lovingly, and then toss it back into the ocean. And she just kept doing this at every starfish she stopped at. And people uh, on the beach were watching with amusement. She had been doing this for some time when a man approached her and said, Little girl, why are you doing this? Look at the beach. I mean, there's no way you can possibly save all of the starfish. You can't even begin to make a difference. And at first, she looked crushed. And she cast down her head for a little bit. But then, after a few moments, she bent down and picked up another starfish and then gently flung it into the ocean. She looked up at the man and said, You know, I made a difference with that one. And the man stopped and thought about what she had said. And inspired, he started bending down and picking up starfish and flinging them into the ocean. And soon, people from all over the beach had joined with them. And before long, every single starfish had been returned to the ocean. The story has been the origin of what inspired me to want to preach this new sermon series entitled, Saints Among Us. And throughout the month of October, I'm going to be lifting up one modern-day saint and sharing his or her life with you. Two are still alive. Two have gone on to join the great cloud of witnesses. Now, the goal of this series is simply to introduce or maybe reintroduce four amazing people of faith who, like the starfish thrower, have made a difference in the lives of others, so much so that other people seeing their actions have wanted to join in and make a difference as well. These four are all individuals who had an influence in one way or another on my life, and I thought it'd be great to share their stories with you. And believe it or not, when it comes right down to it, you may discover that they're really just common people like you and me when we get to know them. And they have chosen to live their lives, though, in very uncommon ways. The people we're going to be looking at in the series are Andre Nowen, Nick Vujicic, Father Greg Boyle, and today we're beginning it all with Mother Teresa, the amazing woman of faith who said once, I am just a pencil in God's hands. And for much of her story, I'm grateful to biography.com and their uh, incredible research this week. Well, Mother Teresa was born on August 26, 1910, in Skopje, along the Balkan Peninsula in Europe, which used to be part of the Ottoman Empire. Today, Skopje is the capital of uh, the Republic of Macedonia. A year after her birth, 
She was baptized as Agnes Goya Boyashu. Agnes's parents, Nicola and Dronafil Boyashu, were of Albanian descent. Her father was an entrepreneur who worked as a construction contractor and a trader of medicines and other goods. The Boyashus were a devout Catholic family. Her father was deeply involved not only in the local church, but also in city politics. And he was working hard for Albanian independence. In 1919, Agnes' father suddenly fell ill and died. She was only eight years old at the time. Some suggested that his political enemies may have poisoned her father. But nothing was ever proved. In the aftermath of this tragedy, Agnes became extraordinarily close to her mother, a pious and compassionate woman who instilled in her daughter a deep commitment to charity. And though they weren't wealthy by any means, uh, Drana Boyishu extended an open invitation to the city's destitute to come and share every meal with her family. In fact, she told her daughter once, my child, never eat a single mouthful unless you are sharing it with others. Agnes attended a convent-run primary school and then a state-run secondary school. Their congregation would make an annual pilgrimage to the Church of the Black Madonna in Lenice. And it was on such a trip that at the age of 12, she first felt called by God. Six years later, in 1928, an 18-year-old Agnes Boyashu decided she was going to become a nun. And she set off for none other than Ireland. She was going to join the Sisters of Loretto in Dublin. And one of the primary reasons for choosing Ireland is she wanted to learn to speak English. Well, it was there that she took the name Sister Mary Teresa, chosen after St. Therese of Lisieux. And on a side note, she actually never saw her family face-to-face again when she left. Her mother had given her permission, of course, to join the order with an open heart, but her brother didn't understand her calling and didn't agree with the decision. At one point later in her missionary work, she applied for a visa for her family to travel from Albania to visit her in Calcutta, but the Albanian government denied her request. Well, a year after joining the Dublin convent, Sister Mary Teresa traveled to Darjeeling, India for her novitiate period. And in May of 1931, she made her first profession of vows. Afterwards, she was sent to Calcutta, where she was assigned to teach at St. Mary's High School for Girls. And it was a school that was run by the Loretto sisters and dedicated to teaching girls from the city's uh, poorest families uh, who were Bengali. Sister Teresa learned to speak both Bengali and Hindi fluently, and she taught geography and history, and she dedicated herself to helping alleviate the girl's poverty through a solid education. This past week, I had the pleasure of watching, for the first time, uh, the 2014 film called The Letters, uh, dramatizing much of Mother Teresa's life. It's based off of a book that was published roughly 10 years after her death called Mother Teresa, Come Be My Light. Now, what's extraordinary about this book and then what the movie uh, dramatized is that it includes some letters that she wrote to longtime uh, friends and spiritual advisors, specifically Father Celeste Van Exum, over a, a period of five or six decades. Now, the, the letters chronicle the loneliness and spiritual doubts that Mother Teresa wrestled with, something that no one ever saw or knew about while she was alive, even those that worked with her so closely. In fact, she never even intended 
for the letters ever to be made public. Well, early on in the film, Sister Teresa has an encounter with some of the poor outside of her school. She goes out to try to feed some of them, and, and it, it, the experience deeply troubles her. And so she's back in the convent, and the, she has the following conversation between herself and her mother superior, Mother General. Let's watch this scene. Due to copyright restrictions, we're unable to play the audio versions of the video clips that we showed in worship, but hopefully you can find the film on Amazon or Netflix and watch it. On May 24, 1937, she took her final profession of vows to a life of poverty, chastity, and obedience. As was the custom of the Loretto nuns, she also took on the title of mother upon taking these vows, and thus the world was first introduced to Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa continued to teach at St. Mary's, and in 1944, she became the school's principal. Through her kindness, generosity, and unfailing commitment to her students' education, Mother Teresa sought to lead them to a life of devotion to Christ. On September 10, 1946, while riding a train from Calcutta to the Himalayan foothills for a retreat, Mother Teresa had a second calling. She called it her call within a call. She felt like God was calling her to leave the safety of the convent in teaching the girls and to spend the rest of her life working in the slums of Calcutta, helping the poorest of the poor. She felt God say, come be my light. I cannot go alone. They don't know me, so they don't want me. Go amongst them. Carry me with you into them. Now, since Mother Teresa had taken a vow of obedience, she couldn't just leave her convent without official permission. So it took nearly a year and a half of lobbying before, in January 1948, she finally received approval to go out and do what she wanted to. That August, donning the blue and white sari that she would wear into public for the rest of her life, she left the Loretto convent and wandered out into the city. And leaving aside the nun's outfit and habit, she wanted to wear clothing that was similar in style to what the Indian women would wear in the streets. After six months of basic medical training, she voyaged for the first time into Calcutta's slums, with no more specific a goal than to aid the unwanted, the unloved, and the uncared for. Basically, the people who were shunned by society and were seen by most as being a burden. In this next scene from the letters... We see Mother Teresa caring for a dying man, and she shares some of the core beliefs as to why this was so important. Let's watch. Mother Teresa quickly translated her calling into concrete actions to help the city's poor in Calcutta. She built an open-air school. She established a home for the dying destitute in a dilapidated building uh, that had been a Hindu temple at one point, and she had convinced the city to let her use it for this great need. The film showed some of the surprising challenges that Mother Teresa received from her own home order, the Sisters of Loreto. Her work in the slums was compelling some of the young women from the school who were choosing to go and help Mother Teresa rather than staying there. Let's watch. Because of the opposition, Mother Teresa started making difficult plans to actually leave her order and start a new one. She petitioned the Vatican to start a new congregation, the Missionaries of Charity, and finally in October of 1950, she was granted permission. It was founded with only a handful of members, most of them former teachers or pupils from St. Mary's School, who had come to work with her there in the slums. This scene from the letters depicts this monumental moment in Mother Teresa's life. 
as the ranks of her congregation grew and donations poured in, not only from around India, but across the globe, the scope of Mother Teresa's charitable activities compounded exponentially. Over the course of the 1950s and 1960s, she established a leper colony, an orphanage, a nursing home, a family clinic, and a string of mobile health clinics as well. By the time of her death in 1997, the missionaries of charity numbered more than 4,000 in addition to thousands more lay volunteers, with 610 foundations in 123 countries all over the world. What an explosion from such small, humble beginnings. In 1971, Mother Teresa traveled to New York City to open her first American-based House of Charity. And then in the summer of 1982, she secretly went to Beirut, Lebanon, where she crossed between the Christian East Beirut and Muslim West Beirut, to aid children of both faiths. In 1979, Mother Teresa had been awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for her lifetime of humanitarian achievements. She said she felt unworthy, but President Jimmy Carter said it was a recognition that was long overdue. By the way, in true Mother Teresa fashion, she refused to have the awards banquet, the dinner uh, that they had to honor uh, her as a recipient. Um, Instead, she asked that Uh, The $190,000 award that was given to the winner uh, be given to the poor through her charity. In 1985, Mother Teresa returned to New York. She spoke at the 40th anniversary of the United Nations General Assembly and also got to meet President and Mrs. Reagan. And while she was in the United States on this trip, she opened a gift of peace, which was a a home uh, for those who were infected with HIV and AIDS. And it's still active. It now is a house that houses the poor, the elderly, and the homeless outside of Washington, D.C. Well, after several years of deteriorating health, including heart, lung, and kidney problems, Mother Teresa died on September 5, 1997, at the age of 87. When her private correspondences were published, many people were shocked to hear that she had wrestled with her faith to such an extent that she did. In one letter, she wrote this, Where is my faith? Even deep down, right in there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God, how painful is this unknown pain. I have no faith. I dare not utter the words and thoughts that crowd my heart and make me suffer untold agony. And yet words such like these make Mother Teresa maybe even more relatable, don't they? I mean, we've all been there, haven't we, that at various seasons in our lives, at one time or another, we've all wrestled with doubt, with these wilderness moments, with times when we had no idea how we're going to make it through, or even if we'd have faith when it was all done. Near the end of the movie, The Letters, the time comes for the lead investigator to report back to the Vatican whether or not he felt that Mother Teresa was worthy of moving towards official sainthood. I love the way that he sums up her spiritual life. Let's watch. She possessed depth of holiness far deeper than any of us might have imagined. I love that. And I concur, prior to my research this week, I only knew a fraction about Mother Teresa uh, from what I've discovered. I'm even now more touched by her life. This is Shane Claiborne. Shane is a prominent speaker, activist, and best-selling author. He founded The Simple Way, an intentional living community in one of the poorest sections of Philadelphia. He heads up a group called Red Letter Christians, uh, a movement of folks who are committed to living as if Jesus actually meant the things that he said in the Bible. And he even spent time living and serving with Mother Teresa in Calcutta. Here's a segment of an interview with Shane as he talks about some of the impact that she's had on his life. 
there kind of came a moment where I felt this kind of collision in me. And there's people out there, you know, that tell me all the time, my life was such a mess, and then I met Jesus, and everything came together. I'm like, God bless you. For me, I pretty much had my life together, and I met Jesus, and he messed me up. And I've been kind of recovering from that ever since because I saw Jesus saying, if you want to be the greatest, then you should become the least. I started wondering why I was working so hard to be the greatest. I went to college outside of Philly. And uh, I guess, you know, when you're, when you're in college and you're young or you're in high school and you're young, like you haven't been convinced that things are impossible, which is a gift. And that was our case. We thought, we want to learn how to follow Jesus Who's really doing it? And uh, Mother Teresa was still alive at the time, and she seemed to be giving the old, you know, this gospel way of life a pretty good shot. So we wrote her a letter and ended up calling her on the phone. She picked up the phone. We said, we want to come to India. And so bam, bam, before long, we were in Calcutta and working alongside of Mother Teresa and the sisters. And one of the things that I learned is this incredible reality that we are to be the body of Christ. That, you know, I'd heard a lot of language that, oh, we're the body of Christ, that's where the church is or whatever. But when, when I was in India, I, I learned about that in a way that was so beautiful because um, in the mornings, every morning, we would get up really early and we would kneel down before the cross, but we would pray these prayers that were about Jesus living in us and through us, that our hands would become Christ's hands. And you had this real sense that uh, that th- these sisters believed that, that they were going to be an extension of Jesus' love in the world. And, and I started to read some scriptures, like when Paul says that the life I live, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And I started to see where John's gospel says uh, that we'll do the same things Jesus has been doing and even greater things than Jesus did because Christ lives in us. You think, my gosh, what would the world look like if we, if we actually began to pray and invite Christ through the Spirit to live in us and through us every day? It's also why Mother Teresa wanted to take communion every morning. She wanted to do the Eucharist, to have the communion feast every morning. But that's different, you know, especially at five in the morning. What were we doing taking communion? And one of the sisters said, well, you heard the saying, you are what you eat, right? And she said, that's what we're praying, is that we would become what we eat, that Christ would be digested, the body and the blood would run through us so that we would be a part of Christ's body, or maybe that we would be digested into who Christ is in the world. Mother Teresa had a great line. She used to say, Calcuttas are everywhere if we'll only have eyes to see. You don't have to go to Calcutta to find Calcutta. She would say, you need to find your Calcutta. Pray that God would give you the eyes to see those who are ostracized and outcasts, the lonely, the marginalized, the, those who are, 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 are needing to feel God's love and hear the whisper of God's grace. And then you become the hands and feet of Christ to them. If we look closely into the eyes of our neighbors and of those who suffer, we will find Jesus in his most distressing disguises. And she said that's one of the wildest things you'll ever see is as you hold the the hand of a dying person or you hold the, the hand of a homeless person, you look in their eyes and sometimes you feel Christ staring back at you. My brothers and sisters in faith, rest assured we are not called to be Mother Teresa. 
There is only one Mother Teresa, but we are called to be the people of faith that God has created each of us to be. Find your Calcutta here in the Antelope Valley. Find people who are ostracized, been kicked to the curb, avoided, or cast aside. Look carefully as you move throughout your week. You might just find Jesus in some of his most distressing disguises. And despite her personal letters, which showed that Mother Teresa was all too human, so much of her life was spent giving herself away for others, like Jesus called us to do. One of my favorite Mother Teresa quotes is this, Let no one ever come to you without leaving better and happier. Be the living expression of God's kindness. Kindness in your face, kindness in your eyes, kindness in your smile. No matter the race, creed, color, age, sexual orientation, immigration status, political affiliation, economic realities, religious affiliation, whoever it is that you encounter, may you be the living expression of God's kindness to everyone. Everyone. Thanks be to God for the life of Agnes Gonya Boyashu, affectionately known as Mother Teresa. For she lived the way Jesus called her and was truly a saint among us. May we follow in her footsteps. Thanks be to God. Amen.